welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and earlier this week, it was International Women's Day. So as a surprise, we're going to be releasing six podcasts in six days, all women. Today on the podcast, we have Sarah Kuhn from Guardian Gantry Hire in Queensland, Australia. Sarah was actually included in the top 100 women in construction in 2020. Sarah, thank you for coming on the podcast today. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the equipment rental industry? Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Um, And definitely, I can give you a bit of an idea. uh, How I got into the industry is a bit of an interesting one, probably a path not a lot of people would take, I think. Um, My background is in marketing. And for the last decade, I was working in academia. So I was working as a uni tutor and a lecturer and teaching in marketing, market research and management. So it was something I was really passionate about, really enjoyed it. I love having that direct contact with students and teaching them what I knew. Um, but I had been there for about a decade and coming towards the end of my PhD, I thought, look, I'm pretty much ready for a change. Um, I think it's, it's probably not a path a lot of people take is coming from academia over into construction. But how I got there and I guess the missing link between the two industries for me was that my father owns Guardian Gantry Hire and for the last few years he'd been growing the company and needed somebody with that background with a bit of marketing strategy with a bit of management experience with processes and systems so uh, he'd been asking me for quite a while to come over and I wasn't ready I had my apprehensions about the industry about working in a family business but Uh, When I sort of had lost a bit of that passion for teaching, I thought, look, I'm ready for a change. And just over a year ago is when I switched from working full-time at the uni to working full-time in the family business. So it's been a a good change, an interesting change, Uh, not something I thought I would enjoy as much as I have, to tell you the truth. Uh, I was very apprehensive, but yeah, it's been a really good change. You must have been very excited when you said, yep, I'm interested. Yeah, there, there was a lot of discussions, you know, um, you know, every month or so, he would hit me up and ask me, we'd talk a bit of business, he'd ask me some questions, what did I think on this idea and this idea? And after a while, he piqued my interest enough that I thought, look, okay, maybe it is something that I'd be interested in, maybe this is something that I would actually consider. And when I finally said, okay, so how about in the new year, we give it a go, and he was, he was ready ready to flick the switch. So you must have been quite excited for like studying for, for 10 years and being involved in that side of the world in terms of uh, the university and then being able to take that knowledge and apply it to an actual real world business and help your family business grow. Like, is that something that you were quite excited about as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had been working in other marketing roles over that time as well but mostly for much larger corporations. And it has been really interesting and exciting to be able to apply it to a small business. I think because you have much more of an effect, you know, when there's only 10 of you and you are working and, you know, you're the only person developing a marketing strategy, the only person overseeing it, bringing it from strategy to fruition, you have a much greater impact on the business's success. And to me, that's probably been the biggest change from my previous marketing roles and something that's yeah really really been exciting 
Okay, so for the listeners, maybe just to break it down simply, because maybe a lot of people don't know what gantries are. Can you explain exactly what is a gantry? Definitely. And you know what? I have to admit here that up until about a year and a half ago, I didn't know either. So despite the fact that my dad started the company about five years ago, he'd always been talking about gantries this and gantries that. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. But, you know, I thought it was just so specialized that I wouldn't, I wouldn't get it. Yeah, for, for everybody that's listening, um, the company's called Guarding Gantry Hire. And so what we do is we construct and then hire out overhead protection gantries. And they're steel structures that generally sit on a footpath in a CBD area so that construction work can happen above and pedestrians can safely walk underneath and be protected from any very rare but um, occasional sort of incidences like if a crane were to collapse for instance. I guess like you would be like one of the very first people on site for some of these big CBD jobs and then probably one of the last people to leave as well I assume. Yeah that's exactly right so quite often we will uh, be tendering um, quite early in the process uh, for some of this work and you know at that point in time you're looking at these plans and you're trying to work out what the end product is going to look like and how you can stage um, your gantry throughout the project and if that needs to to adapt as the project unfolds and it's pretty cool because you can take those before pictures even before demolition happens of an old building and the gantry will quite often stay in place through the demo and then through the new build and you know it could be one two three even four years we've got a project um, at the moment that'll be on site for four years so you see it right from the beginning from even before demo or when it's a a bare block of land right through to the complete end of the project. So those before and after shots are pretty cool. Pretty cool to see. So then is you mentioned that the the build, so is there a lot of design in the early stages with the customer to say what is your actual requirement for the gantry? Like and do you manufacture or assemble that yourselves? Like how does that process work? Yeah, definitely. So we do spend deliberately a lot of time working with the clients on what the exact gantry needs are so that we can sort of future proof um, their needs throughout the build so that hopefully once we put it in, it doesn't need to change at all. Um, But quite often we will work with them. We'll work out what stage one's going to be. We'll put the gantry in um, usually, uh, you know, in about 60% of cases, they just need gantry along the footpath. And once the gantry is in, it'll most of the time stay in right through until the end of construction. Um, In terms of our construction of the gantries, we source all of our steel locally. We make all of our gantries here in our factory in Bethania, so that's southeast Queensland. And then we hire them out to uh, other construction companies around the area And we put them up ourselves because it's a very specialised product. Um, The design that we use is unique to us, to our company. And so obviously we spend quite a bit of time training our employees so that they know exactly how to put it up and take it down safely and efficiently so that, um, yeah, we can be straight in and straight out. Because as you'd know, being in the hire industry, uh, you know, they want us in and out really quickly, minimal downtime. So definitely a big focus. Okay. And so what's the history of Guardian Gantry hire as well? And then sort of where do you fit into the business? Yeah. So my father started Guardian Gantry hire in 2015. 
he started out the company just himself and one other person. And over that time, he's been able to grow it so that there's uh, 12 of us at the moment that work here. We've moved five times in those five years to different factories and each time just um, growing and, and getting larger and larger. So because like I said before, we make all of our own products. So over time, he grew the business by making more and more gantries and it's been a lot of organic growth. So when we get a, a purchase order in and they tell us how much gantry they would need, that's how much he would produce and get it uh, fabricated by the boiler makers, get it painted and get it out on the street with a pretty quick turnaround time. So um, he's grown the business from, yeah, just the two of them back then. to we've got now got 12 employees. We've now got um, two factories here and we're able to uh, turn around quite a lot of gantry within the space of a week if we needed to so that we can make new products. We can fabricate components to be exact sizes that customers need. And uh, yeah, we, we also take the old products off the street, bring them back, refurbish them, repaint them, ready to go. So that um, for customer needs, and gives us a call, they need something quite urgently, we can usually make that happen. Okay, and so where do you fit into the picture in the business? Yeah, so, I guess my official title is the project manager, um, but I'd say my role is really a lot more than that. But, you know, how do you make anything fit into an email signature, right? <laughs> so my, my role is pretty varied, um, being that there's still only a fairly small team here. We spread out the tasks quite a lot. I would say, though, that generally my role is to make things happen as smoothly as possible behind the scenes. So um, I'm able to coordinate with our customers on site times, on contracts, on invoicing, accounts. Uh, I also help here in the factory with things like stock take and ordering, procuring, working with our suppliers. And I'm also working on increasing our marketing and I guess our brand image. So being able to procure new work, working in sales, um, chasing down new contracts, keeping up to date with what everyone's talking about on LinkedIn and, and yeah. So I it is really a lot of different things. It all happens behind the scenes. So I don't get to go to site too often, definitely not as often as I wish I could to see uh, what happens and, and watch it all fall into place. But it's something that is varied enough that it keeps me exciting, excited, keeps me interested. And every week, yeah, there's different projects, different customers we're working with, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's quite interesting because a lot of hire businesses out there are, are very one-dimensional in terms of they've got a general rental business where they're putting something out on rent and the customer brings it back. Your business is is very much like it, it's driven around project management. Like there, there's a lot of moving parts in the business and we're seeing more and more of these, if you want to call them specialty rental companies emerging. And I yeah. think to, to have those types of companies, you need to have like, specialists in the business that understand the manufacturing process, how to manage uh, ordering from procurement from different areas and sort of build up that and then manage the lead time and all those sort of things. And I think you've, you've come into quite an interesting business that is a little bit different to the, the normal hire business in the sense of just being putting something out and getting it back, but really designing a solution for the end client. 
Yeah, you're right. I think um, it's definitely something that keeps it interesting, keeps it exciting. And we do rely a lot on my dad to do a lot of what you've just described there, especially the design. And one of the things he is actually really great at and he thoroughly enjoys is being able to go to construction sites, meet with the site managers and talk about what problems they've got, what types of gantry they're going to need, um, any access issues, what's going to go on top of the gantry, if there's going to be scaffold or mast climbers or um, those sort of things. And what he enjoys doing is working with them then to create a gantry solution that's going to save them a bit of time, make things a little bit more efficient. And when he gets back to the office and he draws up the design, uh, he does really enjoy taking that back to the clients and explaining the benefits of you know what he's done and what he's what he's put together so it is quite a specialty product that we have I know that for my dad he's been working in gantries for the last 20 years so being able to build that knowledge is something that's been imperative to the business it's not something that you can really step into uh, and understand very quickly if you haven't um, got that background knowledge and I know for me I've been working here for just over a year now and it's it took me a solid six months to understand all the intricacies of what gantries are um, and working with other suppliers like site shed suppliers, for instance, to make sure that um, all of our products will go together and fit together on site with theirs as well. So there's just so many little things to learn. Um, and, and dad tells me it'll take me another three or three or five years to finally get my head around everything. But um, I tell him I'm going to beat him on that timeline. So we'll see. Very nice. And so what's it like working for a, a small family business then? Yeah, so it's it's something that I was really apprehensive about. And part of the reason why, you know, I sort of really did drag my feet about coming in and helping in the business. I guess combining work and family is actually not, not such a bad thing. Overall, it's been good so far. And it's actually helped to make my relationship with my dad a lot stronger. Um, it's not even just my dad that I work with as well. So my brother, he works as a gantry installer and my sister, she's a labourer day-to-day here in the factory and also works on site sometimes as well. So uh, between the four of us, that's it does make it an interesting dynamic. But what I've noticed is that the trust that we inherently have is something that makes it a lot easier Um, to get the job done and I think we're all more committed than the average employee would be as well committed to you know doing things right doing things once not wasting time working efficiently and just getting the job done so I think um, those two things um, the extra trust and commitment is sort of um, sort of yeah helps it to take it to that next level and um, yeah makes it an interesting dynamic Mm, and it sounds like Basically, because it's such a small organization and it's family run, everyone sort of puts their hands up to help out where needed, depending on what what is actually uh, the job at the time. Definitely. So one of the things that I oversee is skills management. So just keeping track of what employees have been trained in, what um, tickets, what equipment, um, what types of gantry installations they've been to before. And just making sure that we can, as far as possible, 
uh, make sure that we've got multiple employees trained in uh, every every different skill because you know that only takes one one staff member to be out sick for a week and you do find that you get behind just enough uh, to make quite a frustrating day so uh, as as much as possible everybody does a little bit of everything um, I know in the last couple of months we've just invested pretty heavily in sending a few of our staff to do extra training in forklifts, in uh, working at heights, in EWP tickets and that sort of stuff. Uh, so yeah, we have to really be on top of that, making sure that as much as possible, everybody can do everything. And um, yeah, besides welding is obviously a very specialized ticketed uh, qualification. Besides that, yep, everybody's pretty much trained or in the process of being trained in all of our different um, tasks and roles here. And it sounds like it's quite important to really keep it a family run business as well. Yeah, I think it's one of the values that my dad's got, you know, he, he started the business and, and over that time, you know, I've seen how much time and effort has really gone into it. It's been something that has, you know, really taken so much of his time, weekends, late nights, overnights, uh, you know, there's there's been times when to get the job done for the customer, he, you know, has worked all weekend. He has gone nights without sleep. He's gone nights where he didn't go home and he had to, you know, catch catch a bit of sleep at work instead because, you know, they had to work on site at nighttime and come back and he had to be here during the day. So, you know, when you start out at a really small business and there's only two of you at the beginning, it, it is really difficult. And I think because of that whole idea of the blood, sweat and tears, he really wants to build the business up as to something that not only myself, my brother and sister can benefit from, but something that he says his grandkids will benefit from in the future as well. So it's something that he's really um, pushing for, I think, and to keep the business in the family. Definitely. That's awesome. And, and, and you mentioned that around building up a stronger relationship as well and i think that's a really important factor like a lot of people don't realize that when you do work in a family business you bond over things that you're working together on as well that you potentially might not be able to bond over maybe at home yeah definitely i think um sometimes it can go both ways you know you can have your stressful days at work and you can take those home sometimes but for the most part um, what we found is, yeah, it, it helps. We've got that sort of shared language. We know what's happening at work. We know, you know, when dad needs a quiet weekend where, you know, he just wants to stay at home and chill and watch the footy on TV. He doesn't want to go out and do anything. And then we also know, you know, when he's really under the pump at work and he might need us to go in and help out for a little bit on the weekend. So, um, yeah, I guess it blurs the lines a bit between family time and work time. And I'll admit sometimes on the weekends, it's hard to not talk work stuff, but uh, it's definitely something we're aware of is trying to keep that a little bit separated as much as possible. But um, yeah, building that relationship is just, yeah, sort of happened, I guess, because I understand more about what he's going through and he can relate to us a bit more as well. We're all just walking, working towards the same goal. So yeah, all of those things, I think, just come together. I can imagine the people that aren't in the family business at the dinner table don't want to hear about guardian gantry hire at the entire dinner. 
Yeah, I mean, some barbecues, you know, for instance, my husband will just sit and nod and, you know, for the, you know, he gets he gets a bit of it. But, um, yeah, I think most people would get bored trying to listen into that conversation. Uh, that's funny. So then what was your preconceived thoughts before joining the equipment rental industry? And what are your actual thoughts now? Because coming from that, that marketing side, this is a completely different industry. Definitely, definitely. I think, um, oh, I don't, I don't even know if I want to tell you about these preconceived thoughts because they just weren't good. They really weren't. And it's part of the apprehension about why it took me so long to come, come over and work in the business. But, you know, from the outside in, construction just seems like a really dirty, um, men's only, manly man kind of a business. And, you know, it's definitely got that reputation as well. And if you don't know too many people that work in the industry, um, like I don't generally have many friends and family that work in construction and I'd only ever heard things and seen things from my dad. So, um, it, you know, it was that, that sort of held me back, I think a little bit. Um, but now having worked in the industry for, it's been yeah about 15 months now, I have got a bit more of an understanding of what actually happens on sites. And for the most part, you know, if you're not the one actually getting down there and, and doing the work yourself, it's not that much of a, a rough industry. It's actually quite um, very much a project management industry, as you mentioned before. It's all about, um, from my perspective anyway, is making sure that things run smoothly and things run on time. So that's the one thing that I've actually found has been really beneficial because that's where I've got a lot of those skills that I can bring. Um, and that was another one of my apprehensions was, do I have anything to add here? You know, but I have noticed that, yeah, if you've got those skills of being organized, being project oriented, making things happen and seeing things through, getting things done to a decent time, time frame, then there's definitely a lot of opportunities here because, um, yeah, being efficient and keeping to a budget, keeping to a time frame is really, really valued in the construction and, um, higher industry. So. Yeah, it's been a good change. Yeah. And so I guess if that's the case, how do you think that the equipment rental industry can then attract more females? Yeah, that's a tough one because I feel like until you're in the industry, you don't understand the interesting and complex things that can intrigue you and keep you interested. Um, I think that there's some really good programs out there that are trying to draw attention um, especially to women uh, to come into construction, to come into hire and rental industry. I've, I have noticed some of those structured programs are quite good, but on the whole, I think um, more individual businesses, I think more so on the hiring side, need to get rid of their preconceived thoughts about female candidates in general, because as much as we know things are changing and there is an increased female female participation in these industries uh, it really does come down to women applying for the positions but also still being adequately considered for them as well so uh, I would just say that as long as we're not ruling women out because of their gender then that's um, probably one of the biggest steps that the industry in general can take. So if we do start to see more people joining the industry, especially on the female side, what advice would you give to those people that are joining the industry, considering that you're fairly new to the industry as well? Yeah, I, um, 
think that the biggest piece of advice and something my dad told me really early on is just um, try to learn your role, obviously. But beyond that, focus on building relationships because it really comes down to that old saying, you know, it's who you know. And when you're working in an industry that relies on, I guess, trust, um, you know, we're in the safety industry. So people need to trust us to do what we say we're going to do. They need to trust our product to do what it's designed for. It comes down to, to those relationships. And if you can um, work with people, you can therefore leverage your existing relationships and, and you know people will start to recommend you as well so no matter what role you're coming into build those relationships put put yourself out there use social social media and networking events um, get involved especially um, for women out there look at things like um, WIDAC that's women in design and construction uh, there's also awesome women in construction as well the AWC and if you can focus on building those relationships and meeting more people and getting out there, I think that that's really going to help you in the long term in your career as well. Yeah, I think any type of networking event where people can attend, I think it's a really good opportunity for people to learn from other people. And I think the, the more events that we can sort of get more and more small businesses to attend, and especially from the, the female side and really get them mixing in, it just opens up as you said, the relationship side of it, which I think is really empowering to people. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, it's good to feel supported within your business from your colleagues, but if you can feel supported and get other perspectives and learn new things from, from people outside your organization, it's going to expand your thinking as well. So learning about how other businesses do things, learning about how other people have, you know, gotten where they are in their career, it's definitely, definitely helpful. Um, I know attending events in person is what I prefer. And I found last year quite hard because a lot of those in-person events were transferred to online. And let's face it, you can't really build those one-on-one -on -one relationships when you go to networking online as much as you can face-to-face. -face. So I'm looking forward to this year, um, a relaunch of a lot of events. There's a lot of new things that are popping up that I specifically am seeing on LinkedIn. And I know for International Women's Day, there's a lot of breakfasts and lunches and, and those sort of things that um, people are signing up for. So, yeah, hopefully this year we can get back to networking a lot more and, and keep expanding those relationships, definitely. Definitely. All right, well, I did notice that you were included in the top 100 women in construction in 2020, which is a, a pretty amazing achievement. And uh, it's a very exciting to have you on that list. And having, I guess, that involvement and talking about the networking side, have you thought about getting involved in the, the HRA's Women in Hire program? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Um, it was really a big surprise um, to be included in the top 100 women. First of all, they sent me an email just saying you've been nominated and that made me jump for joy because, you know, when you're in a whole new industry and you don't know that many people, um, I was nominated by, by someone and I, yeah, it just totally caught me out of the blue. So even just getting the email to say you're nominated, I thought that is so cool. Uh, but then to be named in the top 100 was just, yeah, that was amazing. That was really cool. So that's got to be one of, one of my top achievements for sure. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a position and one of those sort of um, accolades that I don't take lightly. I think that 
you know, we can use that as a bit of a platform. So I'm definitely trying to do that this year and focus on that. And um, yeah, when, when you told me about the HRIA Women in Hire program, I, I thought that sounds, that sounds really up my alley. I'm, I'm actually really interested. So I had a Google and I'm sure people that are listening to the podcast will do the same. But um, yeah, 12 month mentoring program sounds, sounds really good. Definitely great opportunity to help others. And I think, um, you know, in terms of mentoring, I've been involved in programs before and it works both ways. You know, whether you're the mentor or the mentee, you're always going to learn something new. So it's something that I always just say, why not? Mm, no, for sure. And I think, yeah, the more people that get involved in those programs, it's, uh, as you said, it, it, it works both directions. All the people I've spoken to, people learn so much about just talking to other people about how they've gone through their career and how they can sort of help provide advice. Cause in the end, like a lot of people think that these mentoring programs are about individual tasks, which isn't the case. It's about understanding where you are in your journey and how we can sort of help you take to the next step and just answer just general questions as well. And just be a sounding board sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I think being able to have that sort of casual conversation and, you know, not being such a, a formal um, sort of an environment and just being able to open up and, and talk careers and get advice. You know, I think a lot of us and myself included in different situations um, can be afraid to ask for help, can be afraid to ask for advice. And there's not a lot of ways you can do that either. You know, it's not like you're going to put up a LinkedIn post and say, hey, guys, I need advice on X, Y and Z. You know, you need that sort of trusted, confidant. Um, type person where you can have that conversation and know you're not going to be judged and it's not going to come back and bite you. So yeah, sounds really great. Oh, perfect. And so learning some of this stuff, if you could give some advice to your younger self, what do you think you would say? Yeah. So I think um, one of the things that I was reflecting back on earlier today was, you know, I've had, a very big change of career and I, I really think that earlier in my career I should have kept my options more open so when I mentioned before I'd, I'd been working for a decade as a uni lecturer um, you know I was I did my undergraduate and postgraduate degrees all at the same university I taught for those 10 years all at the same university and there was good career progression there but at the same time you know, I sort of put all my eggs in that one basket. I didn't pursue too many other opportunities outside of a few small contracts that were offered my way, um, you know, in other positions. So I did do a few of, you know, casual jobs here and there, small contracts, um, putting together marketing plans and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I, I really should have taken my blinkers off and kept my options a bit more open and listened a bit more for, for opportunities outside of, of the norm, you know. I feel like I got stuck for a little bit in, in academia, but now that I've gotten into a whole new field, it's reinvigorated me, I think, um, to try new things and, and to, to not be afraid, I guess. But, you know, looking back, when you're in your early 20s and you're just starting out in your career, you really just take what you can get that you think is going to get you to your long-term path where you want to be. So, you know, I don't have regrets, but if I was giving advice to my younger self, I would just say, yeah, keep your options open. And the other thing I would also say is invest in skills, not just qualifications. 
So I do have a lot of uni degrees. Um, you know, I'm still working towards my PhD in marketing. It's something that's happening in the background as well. But I think I had too much of a focus on qualifications and uni degrees. And I should have been focusing more on increasing my skill set beyond just what a university will teach you. Don't rely just on, you know, what you're going to learn at TAFE or what you're going to learn at a university. Do your own research. Find um, other training that you think is going to help you in your career and invest just in yourself through those skills trainings as well. Yeah, I think a lot of people that don't have university degrees or certain qualifications assume that they don't often stack up. And that's not the case. It's these skills that people gain from running a business or being in a team or running a branch or, or planning a rental contract or managing a breakdown and the repairs that need to occur. Uh, just all those skills add up. And if you take someone that has no real world experience and plonk them into a, a similar role, they'll struggle. And like that person will be giving advice to that person. So a lot of times I think people can get wrapped up in, in their own world on, on, oh, well, I don't stack up to this person because I don't have those qualifications, which I think is really, I think, uh, under underestimating their abilities sometimes. Totally, totally. And I, you know, like my dad, he's been working in construction for so long and he started up this company. We're doing quite well now. And I keep reminding him how he's brought so much of that to the table. You know, he's done that pretty much single-handedly. And he'll always just say, well, you know, if I only finish grade 10 at school and if I can do this, anyone can do this. And, you know, myself, with my experience coming from the other side of it, where I was the lecturer assessing the students on what they could, can and, and couldn't do, you know, I could see that, yep, a student could write an essay or write a report, but how well would that translate into the real world? I was never sure, you know. So uh, I think that sometimes you underestimate that real world experience, what you can learn on the job and how you can take it into your next position or into, uh, you know, a promotion and, and grow over time because, yeah, you can't estimate, oh, sorry, underestimate what you are able to bring to an organisation. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, qualifications, they're good to have. They do teach you some good skills and some good thinking um, abilities, I think. I've, I've noticed especially it's about how you think problems through is one of the biggest things I've picked up through my qualifications. But at the same time, it doesn't teach you how to do your job. You know, nothing besides on-the-job training and working through things on your own is going to teach you that. So, yeah, don't underestimate yourself because, yeah, you're, you've got to be your biggest cheerleader because no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah, that's a good saying. And, and I think motivation and passion plays a big part as well. If someone is truly passionate about what they do and know that they're having a good effect on the end result, they're going to go way further than someone that's got a qualification that hates their job. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, I think people that are not passionate about what they do um, besides costing the organization money in terms of lost productivity, that sort of thing. I think, you know, they're just doing themselves a disservice. If you're not passionate about what you're doing and you're spending 40 to 50 hours a week there, doing something you don't like, then, you know, I know that not everybody can leave their job immediately, but you should be putting in 
place, a plan for the future where you can transition into something you're going to enjoy more. Because I think most of us have worked a job we didn't like before. I know years ago when I was at uni, I had a job at a supermarket. It was boring. It was repetitive. I hated it. I did it for three years because I needed the money and it fit in well with uni and study like that. But I had a plan and I knew it wasn't forever. So you have to find something you're passionate about. You have to because at the end of the day, you know, picking a career and doing a job, two different things. Yeah, you have to have a plan for your career, definitely. And so having all that in mind, how do you define success? And was there a defining moment so far in, in your life, maybe personally or professionally? This is a really tricky one for me. Yeah, this is, this is something that is hard to define. I think success is something that for me changes over time. You know, if you had have asked me five years ago, how do I define success? It would have been finishing my PhD. Uh, but now I really think success is something that you need to have on a daily basis. So for me, um, I feel successful if I have a good day at work and if I feel happy in my career, if we've had a good win that day. Um, and I feel like you have to have those little measures of, of success instead of just putting, you know, all your thoughts and energy into waiting for, you know, hitting one big milestone, for instance. So happiness in your career, I think being able to realise personally for me that I am somebody that can bring a lot of skills to this industry. When I was really doubting myself, I had, I had underestimated how much my skills would matter and, and would be useful. I think now that the realisation that I am more than just my previous career path, that I can help out quite a lot and that my skills are beneficial to the family business. Yeah, that's, that's something that gives me happiness every day. And so, yeah, I, I do feel pretty successful in my career now, knowing that, hey, in five years' time, I've still got goals that I want to tick off and I'll be successful then too, hopefully. <laughs> and so something came to my mind when you said something just then. So you mentioned uh, someone having something in mind and waiting to get to that point. And I think a lot of people that do that, they, they set this goal and they think whether it's money, whether it's an object, whether it's a, a promotion, whatever it might be, they, they have it in their mind. Oh, if I get that in three years, my life's going to be so much better. Everything's going to sort itself out. And then they get there and they're the same person. They've just achieved a goal. And I think people put so much emphasis on some of those things that it almost like makes them depressed of what they expected was going to be on the other side of it. And so I think it really is important to, to have that focus on a day-to-day -day, um, goal measuring of success for you as a person and, and where you fit into rather than having these sometimes long goals that you think is going to define who you are as a person. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of came about because of two things. The first one is um, I'm really not a patient person. So, <laughs> you know, trying to wait to, to reach a goal, um, it just tests my patience too much. But the, the second way it came about was uh, last year I undertook a mentoring program, um, business development program. And one of the things they really focused on was little wins. And at each weekly um, group meeting, we'd all talk about our little wins for the week. And it reset my thinking from just, hey, 
what's our sales target this year? Have we hit our sales target for the year? Which is obviously one of those big goals that you're always working towards. But it made me think about the little things that we do along the way that help us to get to that bigger goal. And what was our little win for the week? What was our little win for the day? You know, and focusing on those smaller things that'll get you there because it's all those little things that add up. It's all those little dominoes that are constantly falling over that'll help you get to the much bigger prize at the end of the week, the month, the year, whatever it is that you're working towards. This reminds me of a movie a little bit. Have you seen the movie Any Given Sunday before? No, I can't say I have. So it, it, they're in like the, I'm not sure if it's a Super Bowl, but it's like the final game of, of, of Gridiron. And the co- everyone's talking about winning the, th- the, the game and all sort of stuff. And the coach is saying, it's all about the inches. Every little inch in every play. And you add up all those inches and then it's a success. So it's it sort of triggered that as well in, in, in my memory. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it kind of also reminds you that every person in the team has a role to play. So every person might only do a little bit, um, but, you know, the result that you achieve overall is is going to be much bigger than, you know, the sum of all the parts. It's more mm. sort of thinking, I guess. Yeah, definitely. All right, Sarah, well, look, I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thanks a lot, Mark. No, it's been a great chat. And um, I'll just finish off by saying, as I mentioned earlier, I want to build those relationships. So if anyone listening is thinking um, you've got any questions or would like to get in touch, please find me on LinkedIn. I'm always open to connections and uh, don't be afraid to, to send me a message and say hi. And yeah, glad to help any way I can. Please share, follow, like the Rental Journal podcast and I'll see everyone in next week's episode.